www.bethelchurch.co.uk. Okay, welcome everyone. Good to see you all. So, we have been on this um, series of the, the battle cry last week. My dad spoke about having a passion for the vision. So what I've got to say really kind of fits with that. And so I've had, what what is this guy called? Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam. I've had him in my mind for the last couple of weeks because this is is his his line. Them's farting words. That's the best kind of cowboy accent I can do. So let's just see that in context. Start walking, you doggone long-eared galoot. Just a minute, partner. You can't talk to me like that. Them's fighting words. Yeah, them's fighting words. Them's fighting words. There's lots of fighting words in the Bible. Um, we looked at Caleb last time. Give me this hill country. Them's fighting words. Joshua said... Choose for yourself which God you're going to serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's fight and talk. David said to Goliath, I'll cut off your head. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Isaiah said, I will set my face like flint. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Jesus said, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And in Revelations 12, talks about the the attitude of the saints. They triumphed over him, being the Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. They did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. There's an attitude that is communicated through those words. Now, back in November, I used a West Wing clip. I can't get away using it again. And most of you like it, sir. At this point, the president has realized that he's been treading too carefully because he wants to be re-elected. He doesn't want to upset anyone, so therefore he's not actually fighting for any of his policies or anything that he believes. And so his chief of staff takes, takes it on and says, come on, I can get the whole team to do something different here. Let's w- watch this again. You don't have to. I don't want to go to sleep like this. You don't have to. I want to speak. Say it out loud, say it to me. This is more important than re-election. I want to speak now. Say it again. This is more important than re-election. I want to speak now. Now we're in business. What's happening? We got our asses kicked in the first quarter, but it's time to get up off the mat. Yes. Say it. This is more important than re-election. I want to speak now. I'm going to talk to the staff. I'm going to take them off the leash. You have a strategy for all this? I have the beginnings of one. What is it? I'm going to try that for a little while. Now 
ground game isn't working, we're gonna put the ball in the air. If we're gonna walk into walls, I want us running into them full speed. What are you saying? Well, you can start by telling the Hill the president's named his nominees to the FEC. And we're gonna lose some of these battles. And we might even lose the White House. But we're not gonna be threatened by issues. We're gonna put them front and center. We're gonna raise the level of public debate in this country. And let that be our legacy. That sound all right to you, Josh? I serve at the pleasure of the President of the United States. If we're going to walk into walls, I want us running into them full speed. We're going to lose some of these battles, and we may even lose the White House. But we aren't going to be threatened by issues. We're going to put them front and center. We're going to raise the level of public debate in this country. Those are fighting words. I believe we need fighting words. We need a fighting mentality to pursue who he is and what he's given us to do. Last week, John said he wanted to invite us to ask God to set an enduring passion in our hearts for the vision. And when that vision's birthed in the heart, it has a motivational force. We have a role to partner and collaborate with God. And there comes an unwavering determination. I believe God is calling us to a purer devotion to him. I believe in these days, he is making himself known. And as a result of seeing him, we're hooked He wants to become more desirous to us than life itself. And in comparison to him, all else will grow dim. I believe as we make him the prize, then all other options will begin to lose their appeal. And he becomes even more appealing. And he's worth shedding everything for. So, today... I want us to look at the idea of Jesus is the prize. Look at the idea that we've been made for so much more. And to even take some time to imagine, what if Jesus was the end in himself? So Jesus is the prize. I want to read this section from um, Philippians. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on a basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's fighting words. There is something that Paul has seen that is driving him. You hear it particularly in those lines. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I want to know him. Earlier in that book of Philippines, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I desire to depart to be with Christ. He wants to be with him. The world that he's in right now is not fulfilling all that that he was made for. In the Psalms, in Psalm 84, it talks about better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. In the letter to Ephesians, he says, talks about God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. In Isaiah, it talks about, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you without money, come buy and eat. Psalm 27, one thing I have asked the Lord, this is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. And in the famous lines from the song, When I Survey, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. These fighting words have seen something. They have seen who he is. For them, Jesus has become the prize. Man, I want to see what they've seen. And at times, I think I've had a glimpse. I've seen something that is worth everything. But any time when it's not so, when that's not my attitude, it's not because he's not the prize. It's because I'm not seeing it right. I want to see him. Ah, oh, to know him. The surpassing worth of knowing him. I want to know Christ. I want him to be the prize in my life. We were made for so much more. We were made for him. The Bible gives us the impression that we are just passing through this life. I've told the story before about when I used to travel with my dad to visit different people in the network. There was one time that we went to Cape Town. It was the only time I'd ever got to be there, and we had an afternoon free. And there was the offer, do you want to go to Table Mountain? Wow, yes, I'd love to see Table Mountain. I said, uh, you might have to queue for about half an hour, so let's not bother. <coughs> so I never got to Table Mountain because there might have been a queue. He's English, we're used to queuing. <laughs> but when I told this story to our friends in New York, Mark McGrath, he said, your dad always just gives that impression that he's someone that's just passing through this world. He's not here to kind of engage with it. Now, there's nothing wrong with sightseeing. I have no problem with that. But there is a sense of 
I'm passing through. These things, they're nice, but they're nothing compared to what I'm going to and what I'm going to see. In John 13, it's the point where Jesus gets up and washes the disciples' feet. And just before it do he does that, it says, Jesus knew that he had come from the Father and he was returning to God. His value was not held here. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he's going to, which meant he could do the job of the lowliest servant. He didn't need to, get, to build his value on earth because that wasn't where he's coming from or where he's going to. The Bible talks about us being foreigners and strangers on this earth. When Jesus prays in John 17, he talks about us being in the world, but not of the world. We often use that Psalm 84, talking about the uh, heart set, set on pilgrimage. Even the, the, the bit that goes on, it says, as they pass through the valleys of Baca, there is a passing through. We've, we've, there's somewhere else we're going. This is just a staging post on the way. It talks about us being citizens of heaven. That's where we actually belong. That's what our passport says we are. We were made for more than what is here because we're just passing through. Do we live like we're just passing through? Or do we live as if this is all there is going to be? We're made for so much more because we're on a mission. We're Christ ambassadors. Well, an ambassador has a very clear task. They are sent to a foreign nation to represent their government, their, the culture of, of their home country. They're to speak on behalf. They're to represent their government wherever they are. 2 Timothy 2.4, it says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I'm here on business. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a mission. I don't want to get entangled with trying to live by the, the demands of this world. I'm not here for that purpose. I'm here for a mission. I've got a focus. I've got a responsibility. I've got a greater purpose. I'm here for someone else's benefit. We were made for so much more. We were designed for the eternal. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks, encourages us, look, don't store for yourself treasures on earth where it's going gonna, it's gonna to collapse, it's going to fall apart. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Have that eternal focus. What you're doing now matters for eternity. Am I investing in the things of eternal value? Colossians 3, it says, set your heart and mind on things above. Those things that last forever. C.S. Lewis says, you have never met a mere mortal. The person sitting next to you is immortal. Do you treat them like that? Do you expect that of them? 
Jesus was able to say to uh, the other uh, convict on the cross next to him, you'll join me tonight, you'll feast with me tonight in paradise. Am I living expecting paradise? Tim Keller tells a story of this young guy that was um, paralyzed uh, after an accident. And he'd have people say to him, so what do you say to God with all that you're, what you're facing? And he said, I tell God he's got eternity to make it up to me. Isn't that a different mindset? How often we can lick our wounds of how bad our life is. It's just, it's, it's just a fraction of what we're called to, what we're made for. talks about in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in our hearts. That's no wonder why nothing here really ever can satisfy us. We are made for more than just feathering our own nests. We can sometimes forget our mission, forget that we're passing through, forget that we've been made for eternity... Is that me? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then we end up treating God as if he's a genie, that he's there to fulfill our wishes. So is God here to fulfill my wish, or am I here to fulfill his wish? Because I realize I'm using God when I get disappointed. When I take a position of, God, I trusted you, but. Has anyone ever felt you've done that? Someone's fixing the roof. Oh, it was like a spray, it was like a spray jet or something. Oh, torch, okay. <laughs> If someone comes through there with a with an eye with a big blowtorch, we know they've they've burnt too much. Right, let me say that point again. <laughs> you realize that you're using God for your means as, as a means to your ends when you can hear yourself saying Sorry, Ken's more interested than me, I can see. <laughs> when you get to a point, you realize, no one is actually looking at me. They're all looking at Ken. Well, don't worry, I'll join you. <laughs> oh, look, there he is, I can see him. <laughs> right, back to my really important point. <laughs> About third time now. I realize that I'm using God when I can hear myself say, God, I trusted you, but effectively you did not come through in the things that I needed you to do for me. Jesus warns us of this. He says, is not life more than, and in this case he was talking about food, he was talking about clothes, but you can actually... 
insert your own idol in that point. Now, but by idol, it's a good thing that has become the ultimate thing. So my family is a good thing. It becomes the ultimate thing when I put it at a higher priority and of higher value than Jesus. And so it might be marriage becomes your idol. Family. You know, Jesus said in Luke 20, we're not going to be getting married in heaven. You think very differently. How much of life can we just spend thinking about getting married being married, staying married. But there's something far beyond what we're going to end up with. And I have no idea what that's going to be like. Friendships. We've talked about friendships before. C.S. Lewis is great on friendships. If we make friendships the goal, we just simply want friendships. We can never actually have any because the conditions of friendship is that they've got to be about something. I like to think of it that I'm at like um, the Grand Canyon on the viewing platform and I'm just saying, wow. And the person next to me goes, yeah, wow. Is that not amazing? And we get into a conversation and then a friendship strikes up because we're both looking at something that is bigger than us. And the friendship forms on the basis of, wow, you can see it too? I thought I was the only one. A friendship has to fall below a basis of connection, which is Christ. Our careers can become an ultimate thing, or our pastimes, our hobbies. In French, whenever I was learning, I was always talking about pastimes instead of hobbies. When I think about that, like I'm here on a mission, and I could be focused on just passing time. Just finding something, the latest entertainment, just to get me through the day. No. I'm not here for that. I'm not here for my own entertainment. I'm here for a purpose. This time here is delaying where I'm trying to get to. So I want to do what I'm here for properly. I was made for more than feathering on my own nests. I'm made for more than being pushed around by the values and the priority of this world. I have been set free and commissioned to be part of creation's jailbreak. It's a band called Switchfoot. They had a great, great line, one of their songs. We were meant to live for so much more. Have we lost ourselves? We want more than what this world's got to offer. These things shouldn't be enough for us. Because he's put eternity on our hearts. Jesus is not a means to an end. I don't use him to get security. He is security. Another story Tim Keller talks about. He talks about this pastor friend of his who was approached by two very anxious parents at the end of the meeting. And they were saying, look, our daughter's instead of going on to further education, they've got this crazy idea of being missionaries um, in some other country. And can you just talk sense into them? Because they need to do something to to further their, their lives. They need to get a career, get a job, settle down, get married. And the pastor looked at them. He said, let me get this straight. 
we're all on this little rock called Earth, and we're spinning through space at a million miles an hour. If we don't happen to run into anything else, it doesn't matter because one day a trap door will open under every single one of us and we're going to fall off. Underneath are the everlasting arms of God on nothing. And maybe a master's degree will give you a little security. Come on, if you've seen him, if you've seen what he's like, if you've seen that he is the prize, none of this stuff fits. So imagine, what if Jesus was the end in himself? There's a guy called Jeff Bethke that tells this little illustration. He said, if I was in the middle of the desert, dying of thirst, and miraculously there appeared a toilet bowl, I would stick a straw in that and slurp away, no hesitation, no shame. But he had actually lived in a place called Portland. It's one of the wettest places in America. Lots of rain and natural springs. He said, we have great drinking water in Portland. So if I need a drink, I go to the kitchen, to the kitchen tap. On my way to the kitchen, I don't find I'm having to white-knuckle my obedience to say no to the toilet, because I know there's something better. And his phrase was, there is a better yes. It's right to say no to things and to discipline ourselves and to focus, but there's a better yes. If I could see him, if I knew him, none of these things would hold their appeal. So if he was an end in himself, I would be untouchable. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. This pain that you're currently facing is nothing compared to the joy that you're going to have in what he's got for you, in what he's called you to. It's like that paralyzed guy. He's got eternity to make it up for me. But that's not just when we've left this place. It's something we can begin to taste now, begin to experience, just like, like Paul said, ah, oh, that's a passing worth of knowing him. In Hebrews 11, it's just gone through all the heroes of the faith, and the first part of the list are those that experience the miracles uh, and miracle rescue. And then it goes on to the next part, and it said... Others were tortured and refused their release so that they may gain a better resurrection. So there was a number of people that were resurrected, brought back to life, but it was only temporary. I still had to physically die at another point. But a better, better resurrection, what he's got for me is better than absence of pain today. I want to know that. I want to hold out for that. Still others endured mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, oppressed and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
If he was the end in himself, he can turn all things for good. There's another band that I used to listen to called the Supertones, and they had this line that stuck out to me. If I limp, then I'll run with a limp. If I limp, then I'll run with a limp. I love that. It's not saying, if I limp, well, I'm not going to bother. I'm going to think about how bad my limp is. You hear it in Leo's line. If we're, running, if we're walking into walls, I want us running into them. This might mean we throw ourselves at things and we get disappointed. It doesn't go the way that we wanted. Pick ourselves up, we run for the next thing. If God is calling us to a battle cry right now, this isn't a time to hesitate. I want to embrace what he's got for me. If I limp, then I'll run with a limp. God can turn a limp into something. He has an ability to turn all, all things for good. That's what we see in the story of Joseph. Joseph, rejected by his brothers, beaten up, sold into slavery, uh, forcefully accused, thrown into a dungeon, forgotten in a dungeon. All of those things were necessary to bring Joseph into the palace. When we give God what we've got, he can turn it into something beautiful. Ecclesiastes said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Whatever you've been dealt, whatever's in your hands, play it. Moses had a staff. God turned it into a snake. God used it to separate the Red Sea. David had a sling. It was used to defeat Goliath. Jonathan had an armor-bearer, and with him, they went and fought a whole garrison of Philistines. Peter had a boat. Jesus used it to preach to many on the, on the banks. One little boy, we never even know his name, had five loaves and two fishes. And when he gave God what he had, when he gave what he had to Jesus, Jesus multiplied it, made it the sustenance to 5,000 plus people. Paul had learnt the scriptures, see what God was able to do with that when it was submitted. If I hold up because I think I've been dealt a bad hand, if I don't play the hand that God's given me, where's the chance for him to prove himself through my life? Imagine what a breathtaking community this would be if Jesus was the end in himself. If we were all sold out for Jesus, it would be a terrifying, inspiring community to be part of, much like it was in Acts, where no one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded. But yet God added to them on a daily basis because of the purity of their devotion to Jesus. 
I want to be part of a community like that. And when I look around at you guys, I see heroes of the faith, people that have limps and are running with them. It is an honor to serve with you guys and face what we're facing together. But, oh, there's more for us. God's calling us to a higher thing. And this isn't about trying harder. It's not about grit and determination. It's about getting a sight of him. And when we see him, something is dropped inside of us. That enduring passion, that unwavering determination, I want to be with him. I want to know him, to see him. And that idea that I strive for, I long for, is to hear the great, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. So, where do you stand? Do you love him more than all these other things? That was a question that Peter was asked after he denied Jesus three times and the resurrected Jesus came and found him. He was out fishing and he came to meet Jesus on the, on the bank. Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? What are these? I wonder. Oh, could the these be the boats, the nets, the fishes? Could they represent your job? Is that where you find your identity is in your job? Do you see that your job is your source of income? So that if you don't have a job, you have no income? Or do you see your job as the channel that God is using because he is the source of your income? He could put it through the job. He could put it through anywhere. But what is behind it? What is the source? Sometimes we can think that these material things are so absolutely necessary and undermine our commitment to Jesus in the process. Peter was always going back to his boat. So he first met with Jesus on his boat. He went back to the boat another time. Jesus came and got him. After Jesus died, where was Peter? He was out fishing. It was his fallback plan. It's where he went to if he wasn't being able to cut it. What's your fallback plan? Do you get emotional? Do you withdraw from people when the going gets tough? Do you get angry? Do you get despondent? What's your fallback plan? Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe you're thinking about shopping, buying things, eating things, gaming, entertaining ourselves. Maybe we're thinking, oh, if I just had a holiday, that would, that would solve all my problems. Or maybe it looks a little bit more palatable and you busy yourself with serving other people. But it's a fallback plan that Jesus is asking, do you love those things more than you love me? Maybe he's talking about the whole area, Galilee, where Peter grew up. Is it your neighborhood? Is it your geographical location that is your, the thing that you love? That is your safe environment? Or maybe it's the people that 
Peter was with that Jesus was asking, the other disciples, your friends, your family, are they more important? Do you love me more than these? In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. I want to run in my race. I want to use my time here. I want to earn that, earn that crown by his grace, by his power. So... I thought of three possible responses for you that you might want to consider. Might be coming back to, you know what? I need to see you afresh. I need you to become my prize. And if, in Psalm 51, it says, Restore for me the joy of my salvation. It's amazing how these things get worn down and we lose our focus. Where do we go? We go back to him. God, help me. See the joy of my salvation once more. Paul said to Timothy, make sure you fan into flames the gifts which God has given you. God has given you gifts. Sometimes you can mistreat them, you can put them away, you can think, well, that's a limp. What can I do with that? Well, maybe there's a gift in there. If that's submitted to God, what could he do with it? Maybe it's about repenting and saying, you know what, I have put other things above you. I have used you to better my life. Now I'm saying use my life to better yours. Richard and the team are going to come back up here and going to lead us in, in a song which I think we can use as a, as a response. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.